As a reminder for our guests, uh, I want to point out the gold sheet in your service folder, and uh, please feel free to use that both during our sermon study and also um, during the week. We're getting uh, towards the end of this series on the the Ten Commandments, and uh, truth be told, there's been a lot of great feedback that I and Pastor Steve have received on this series. Some of you have said that it's been a really long time since you've uh, taken a look at the Ten Commandments this in-depth, maybe all the way back to 7th and 8th grade confirmation class for, for some of you. Others of you have commented, too, that you weren't necessarily aware always of the scope or the broadness of what each commandment is really directing us to or, or towards. Um, take the fifth commandment as an example. Um, you shall not murder. You know, for many of us, maybe we've always thought, and this is some of the comments we've gotten, that we've done good job on that one, that the fifth commandment, you shall not murder, is one that we can kind of check off our list, and at least I got one right. I mean, I haven't killed anyone. There were a few ants that one time, and that goldfish that I accidentally, but that wasn't on purpose, and that's really not what the commandment means anyway. That's one I got right, and then Pastor Steve's sermon had really very little to do with murder, didn't it? But had to do with getting rid of rage and anger and bitterness and anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, Jesus said. And, and in reference to the fifth commandment, we come to the conclusion, you know what? I need Jesus' love and his forgiveness. And then last week, the sixth commandment um, can always be a little uncomfortable when the topic of sex comes up at church, can't it? I was blushing a little bit, I think. But the truth is, is that it shouldn't have been really a surprise to any of us, right? Because six does come after five, and so you guys all knew what was coming. But the reality is, is that we learned something, that the sixth commandment isn't just about a spouse cheating on their spouse. But it has everything to do with all areas of, of sexuality. That God gave the gift of sex not just as a dating tool or to get to know someone better. That it's meant to be a tremendous blessing and gift from God in the context of marriage and in the context of two people who have promised themselves to each other and to God until death do us part. And then there's that whole other area of sexuality that is so difficult because in the American culture, sex and sexiness sells, right? And so you can't go anywhere. You can't turn on the TV. You can't go to the movie. You can't even walk through the checkout line at the grocery store, right? Without all those magazines selling exactly that. And so we're constantly bombarded with images and with stuff to get us to sin against the Sixth Commandment. And we look at the Sixth Commandment, and even if you've been physically faithful to your spouse, we come to the conclusion, I need Jesus' love and forgiveness. And the great thing about this series is that in the midst of all this direction, Jesus' love and forgiveness has always been there. Just like it was when God gave the commandments. We've come back to this phrase over and over again that God gave the commandments not as a way to earn his love, not a checklist to be a better person in the sense of earning God's graciousness, but instead because he already loves us. And so the Ten Commandments have been a mirror that have showed us, I got junk on my soul. 
I have sinned, and yet God still loves me through Jesus and through his perfection and through his death and resurrection. Well, the seventh commandment today is much like the fifth and the sixth. Because when you first hear the words, you shall not steal, what images come to mind? A kid maybe kind of quietly taking a pack of gum from a gas station, or maybe um, ski masks and bank robberies and surveillance cameras and guns and all these things. Maybe it's the Wild West and horses and bank robberies, right? <laughs> but the interesting thing is when Martin Luther wrote his What Does This Mean based on Scripture, here's what he wrote about really what the Seventh Commandment in its broader scope means we should fear and love God, that we do not take our neighbor's money or property, that's stealing, or to get it by dishonest dealing in a dishonest, not truthful way. But then what we should do is help him to improve and protect his or her property and business. So, like what is Martin Luther talking about? Well, there's a lady named Linda, and she loves antiques and knows all about them. While Linda's at a garage sale looking for clothes for her grandchildren, out of the corner of her eye, she sees on a table a vase that catches her attention. It's labeled for five bucks. But being an antique enthusiast, she knows the truth. She knows that it's really worth a couple thousand dollars. And the family has no idea. Linda goes over quickly to the table and scoops up that $2,000 vase for $5. Did Linda technically steal the vase? No, she paid for it. Did she help protect that person's property? Did she break the seventh commandment? How about Jimmy? Jimmy saved a year for his new iPod, and it was painful for him to shove all that money over to the cashier to buy the iPod. The problem with an iPod and spending all your money on it is there's no songs on the iPod, and you need cool songs to be able to enjoy your iPod. So Jimmy knows that John has hundreds of dollars of songs on his iPod, and his plan is to just for free, download all of Jimmy or John's onto Jimmy's. Is Jimmy honestly getting what he's getting? Is he breaking the seventh commandment? Or how about people who at times play the system, whether it's in taxes or welfare or unemployment, are they taking what's not rightfully theirs? You see, the seventh commandment is about a lot more than just bank robberies and ski masks. And what we're going to do today is not bring up a thousand more examples, but instead, what I think we can do is to dig down at the very heart of the seventh commandment through God's word. And we're going to dig down and we're going to see the truth about possessions, where they come from, and what we should do with them. And hopefully through that, God will help us to keep the seventh commandment more. Now, over the last five years, six years, when it comes to worldly possessions and money, our our country, our lives have have gone through a, a pretty difficult time, right? 
And there aren't a lot of good things that we can really say about a bad economy or a recession. But the truth is, there might be something. There's at least one blessing that can come out of it. Because in a bad economy, here's what happens. A bad economy reveals what a good economy conceals. Or a bad economy brings to light what a good economy can so easily hide. Because here's the thing. When the bank account is full, and when the stock market is up, and the 401k is overflowing, and when jobs are a dime a dozen, it's so easy to say what was written on that $5 bill, in God we trust. But when those things are stripped from us, or taken from us, or not as easy as they used to be, then the truth is revealed. In what are we getting our confidence? A full bank account? A moving upward stock market? Or in something else? Or in God? A bad economy can reveal what wealth and good economy can so easily hide. This isn't only true in 2012. At the very same time, that Moses was giving the Ten Commandments to Israel and getting them from God. At that very same time, unbeknownst to Israel, they were on the cusp of four decades of what I'll call a bad economy. Forty years of having very little to nothing. Forty years in just about a few months, less than a year, forty years they would be spending wandering around in the desert. No homes, no neighborhoods, no way to grow food because they're in a desert. The section I'm going to read right now, we're going to look at, is, is a speech that Moses shared with the people 40 years later, after this bad economy, so to speak, and right before they're about to enter a really great time of plenty. And Moses points out something that's not only good when considering the seventh commandment, but also something that is good to remember in good times and in bad. We begin with uh, verses 2 and 3 of chapter 8. This is, again, at the end of those 40 years. It says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart? whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you, here's what he was teaching them, that man doesn't live on bread alone. Don't put your confidence in your stuff, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. While Israel was in the desert for 40 years, God did a miracle for them every single day. Every single day of the week, except for Saturdays, when the Israelites opened their tents and went out of their tents, all over the ground was this wafer-like food that tasted like honey. And because they had never seen it, it was referenced in in verse uh, 3, they had never seen it, didn't know what it was, 
they called it manna, which means, what is it? Very original name. They just named it, what is it? So every, every six days of the week, except for Saturday, they go, they go to sleep, they wake up, open their tents, they're hungry, and what is it is all over the ground. And not only that, but God, the Bible tells us, provided them with quail to eat. Did you know, you may not know this, that the clothes they wore, God allowed to last for 40 years. They probably went out of style, but they still were good, right? Lasted for 40 years. God provided that. When they needed water, <clears throat> at times he would make water come out of a rock. For 40 years, Israel had this object lesson about where their stuff came from, and they had to rely on him. And now it's 40 years later, and Moses knows their tendencies. And he continues in verse 10, as about, they're about to go into a time of plenty. When you've eaten and are satisfied in this new land you're about to get, praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You know what the Israelites sound like? They sound like me. They sound like us, don't they? That when things are going well, it's so easy to be proud. But when God brings us to our knees, we realize the truth all along of where our things come from. And Moses wants them to remember, verses 17 and 18. You may say to yourself, it's my power and the strength of my hands that have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. Don't forget the Lord. Don't forget the Lord when you're wandering for 40 years in the desert and you open up your tent and what is it is out there? Don't forget the Lord when he gives you food in a different way. He gives you a great land that has fields to be able to farm on and it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Remember him. Don't forget the Lord when the stock market is on an upward slant for 20 years straight. Don't forget the Lord when it crashes down because God is still the one who provides all that we have. Remember him. Don't forget where it comes from. Now, the truth is, how much security do you really find in the things of this world? How much confidence can they really give? Let me ask a question. Um, how much money would it take for you to truly feel confident in your life based on that amount of money? Would it take 500000 a million, $10 million? You know what the answer is every single time to that question, no matter how much you have right now or had in the past? The answer every single time to how much it would take is more than I have right now. 
Because none of you were thinking, I have enough. It's always more than you have right now. And then when you get that pile of money high enough, your possessions great enough, then there are things that can happen that money just can't do anything about. You work all your life on getting that pile high enough and didn't work maybe on your relationship because in part you thought once we get to a certain stage or a certain season of life based on the money, things will be better and you've come to find out that your relationship and how close it is with your spouse really has nothing to do with money. You can't buy what you're looking for. Or maybe your 401k is all set, ready to retire. Something happens like happened to Carrie's grandparents. Or, or, or maybe, maybe it's a doctor call. And they tell you that you have a serious illness and the solution has nothing to do with money because there's no cure for what it is. And time and time again, we are shown and we can see that putting our trust in the things of this world really is no confidence. There's really no confidence at all. Listen to how Paul writes about this in the New Testament. His encouragement. Don't put your hope in riches, but put your hope in God who richly provides. Don't put your trust in riches and stuff. Don't get your confidence there, but instead get your confidence from the one who richly provides it all. <clears throat> it's really simple. Why would we trust the stuff when God, through Jesus, has given us access and relationship to the one who gives it all to us? Why do we in our sin find ourselves putting so much emphasis on the stuff when we have the all-powerful creator of the universe who also happens to be our Heavenly Father. And although we're sinful, and although we stray, and although through the Ten Commandments we've, we've seen our sin like we, we do every week, that yet through this love you can't describe, it's called grace, that Heavenly Father has forgiven all of our sins through Jesus and has said, I am not only going to give you salvation through Jesus, I am also going to give you all that you need. Because if I would take care of that big problem, your sin, won't I also, along with Jesus, also give you all things? In light of Jesus' sacrifice, we can trust God, not our stuff. Not only that, but now as we consider the seventh commandment and keeping it more, let me share with you the brand new way a Christian views what he does with his stuff, God's stuff. <clears throat> How many of you had your own room when you were growing up? Raise your hand. I know you're still awake that way. Own room? No roommate? All right, so looks like about half, if not more. In fact, how many of you maybe also in that room, you don't have to raise your hand for this one, but a lot of us maybe had our names on it, you know, Ben's room, or you went out to the Black Hills and you bought one of those little name tags, you know, and you stuck it on your door, Ben's room, or you made a poster that said, stay out, because this is my room, and it's my stuff, and why when grandma and grandpa come over, do they always have to stay in my room, because it's my room, right? 
well. Why is it in my room that my parents could come in anytime they wanted? And how come in your room your parents could come in and tell you to clean up your stuff in your room and you had to listen? You know why? Because it was in your room. It was your parents' room. And you didn't own it. They asked you to manage it. And when you didn't manage it according to their standards, they pointed out what you needed to manage better. Because it's their room. And when grandma and grandpa came over, I had to leave my room, which really wasn't my room, and go down and stay in my sister's room, which really wasn't her room either. But I get the point, right? It's the exact same thing with God. None of the stuff we have is our stuff. I mean, I, I might put Ben's coat on here, but I wouldn't have it if it wasn't for God. What you have today is from him, and it's all his. And it may not be quite as miraculous as finding what is it all over the ground, but don't ever forget that God is the one who gives you what you have. God has given it to us, and just like that bedroom that we're supposed to manage as a kid, God's simple task for you is just to manage whatever he's given to his glory. And because of Christ's sacrifice for us to, to just to manage it. You know what tends to be, and here's where we get back to the seventh commandment and how this makes a difference, this, this outlook from scripture, because tendency is with our stuff to think this way. Have more, get more, have more, earn more, have more, get more, get more, get more, and there's nothing wrong with getting more as long as you remember where it came from. And there's nothing wrong with climbing the corporate ladder. But that is not the biblical godly goal for earthly possessions. The goal is simply, if God blesses me with more, then I will manage more to his glory, all to his glory and honor. All of it, not just our offerings, all of it to his glory. See, when, when, when I was growing up, my parents didn't teach me this, I just thought this, what they did teach me is you give back to the Lord. And, and my parents always taught 10%, even though it's not a biblical command. So if you got a buck, you give back 10 cents. And if you have $100, you give back $10 and so on and so forth. First fruits to God. But what I felt or thought is then the rest, the 90 cents, the $90 is mine. And I can do with it whatever I want. But does that really make sense? Um, Imagine for a moment that I lent you my car. It's a, my 2000 Taurus. Now, I don't know why you'd want to borrow my 2000 Taurus. Uh, not a lot of good about it, but uh, um, you know, we're pretending here. So let's pretend. And after a week, you drive it in, and the first thing I see is the front of it as it's coming down the street towards me, and the bumper and the front hood like gleams like it never gleamed before, and clearly you washed it and waxed it. Awesome. And then you pull into my driveway, and now I'm standing on the side of it, and there's like mud all over the rest of it, caked on all over. I open the door, and 
Clearly, you've been to McDonald's a few times because there's bags and French fries and chip crumbs and soda bottles all over it. Mud inside. It's just horrible. Would you ever do that? Would, would you ever take care of just 10% of someone's stuff? You don't even think in percentages, do you? When it's someone else's stuff. All that we have is God's. And we need to think about managing 100% of it to God's glory. And for some of us, to God's glory means we need to spend less. For some of us, it means that we need to save more. For some of it, it means that we need to loosen the reins a little bit and use it, provides with everything for our enjoyment. For some of us, it means that we need to give back more, but we think of all of it as a way to manage it for God's glory, because our goal, seventh commandment, is not to take and to get more, 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 but to view our stuff and other people's things as gifts from God that we simply manage, whether a lot or a little, in glory and response to Jesus' love. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, for most of us here today, we have more than we need. We've truly been blessed by you. When it comes to our spiritual blessings, that's the case for every single one of us. You've given us exactly what we need, our forgiveness for all sins, even sins against the seventh commandment. And Lord, as we have heard the good news of your undeserved love for us and also heard your direction, I'd ask you to move each one of us to have a biblical perspective about what we have, to simply manage it all to your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.